HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with David Carr, co-founder and chief brand Sebador of Guayaquil Yerba Mate, an organic fair trade beverage company. David and his friend Alex founded Guayaquil in 1996 with two missions. One, bring Yerba Mate to the world, and in doing so, create a business model which, too, regenerates the South American rainforest and revitalizes vibrant indigenous communities by creating living wage jobs. Guayaquil has been thriving since then. I'm feeling like I'm thriving at the moment. We just had a little before the show, so I'm loving this. Um, After creating an entirely new market, and I think is kind of the best example of how a business can be both successful financially and also bring healing to the planet. Um, So David, I'm super psyched to meet you. Um, I'm so happy you're here. And it's been really fun doing research on this episode because I didn't know much about you or the company. Well, thanks for having me here. I enjoyed researching you as well. Uh, Yeah, that seems like you're doing a lot. Yes. um, To make everyone have a better life. Well, I try. It like demystifying stuff that gets in people's ways with themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, unraveling. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit, I know where you live now, it sounds awesome, but tell me a little bit about how you grew up and like what you were like as a kid and what, you know, I always go back to like fourth grade, what did you picture your future life being life? My, like it, my guess is you did not picture this. No, yeah. I, I didn't. I think of a lot of the early years of my life, I was going through the motions yeah. of being a somewhat 
privileged kid growing up in Saratoga Hills in the, in the Silicon Valley okay. in the Bay Area. Um, fortunately, my, my mother has always been a, a huge fan of nature. My father, too, but loved living in nature. So they had a, a place in the mountains, you know, by the horse stables. And we had horses right. below um, Palmasan Winery up there on uh, Pierce Road. And so... I was surrounded by a lot of nature and took it for granted. I think that really influenced me quite yeah. a bit. And the and the few times my mother and father are taking me traveling, like to say Ecuador, and I was able to see the Galapagos. I had yeah. a lot of uh, sort of experiences being around nature and feeling comfortable in nature in my life. And I do remember kind of the one thing that was a bit odd that my mother recycled growing up because <laughs> right. no one else that recycled, was early. Yes. You know? and yeah, that's cool. Were you an only child or siblings? Or no, my brother and I. Okay, yeah. and you're I'm, younger. My younger brother and I, oh, and we still older. work together. He's one of the original guys in Guayaquil. Oh, no we way. still work together 23 years later. That's so cool. Um, and what did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't really know. You know, I, I wanted to leave the, the Bay Area. Yeah. I wanted, when I was looking at universities, I, I chose San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly, because it was the oceans and the mountains, and it right. was so beautiful, and I loved being outdoors and surfing and mountain biking was, was my passion at that time. So like academically, would you say you were more like a math and science guy or more like a art writing history guy? I was probably more like a, a business guy, business guy, just because I grew up around it with my, my father worked with a lot of emerging tech companies. Right. And I just understood business because he was a very talkative right. friendly guy and I grew up around it that's so cool I you know there's like there is actual like data that says that a lot of entrepreneurs have entrepreneur parents that there's something you know I think at that dinner table conversation or just like in the car you know that you pick up on somehow or mm. I think you know in my case my dad was a professional bridge player um, for years before he had like a, a job um, I mean he was, he had a job, but he was a bridge player, yeah. but everything was, was like strategy and game and like reading the vibe. Mm-hmm. And so I think I grew up around that. And so I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I think I thought, I mean, I wanted to be a teacher, but I also, I think that part of my little, that part of the like entrepreneur in me is comes directly from those car rides. Hmm. You know, in the back mm-hmm. of the Cadillac being hot boxed <laughs> yeah. with like the cigarette smoke. Ugh. And like, yeah, you probably had a similar you because we're around the same age. Yeah. My mom was the one who always wanted to travel. In fact, they, they met because she was a stewardess and she still to this day won't stop. He doesn't like to. Right. But as much. So they kind of do their own thing. But the the gypsy part of me of living yeah. on the road for, I think seven years after we started Guayaquil was definitely from my mother. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like you got a lot of really groovy stuff from your mom. That's cool. So you went to college. Did you, did you think you were going to major in business or like you didn't really? I did. I started in, I started in biochemistry Oh. because I was fascinated by the life scientists. But mm-hmm. after moving down there and getting 16 hours of lab for all <laughs> of my like classes, yeah. And I'm in the place where it's 300 days of sunshine. Right. And it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. This is, I was like, this is not working out. <laughs> and I was surfing. And yeah. I switched to business because I figured there's a way to have no Friday classes. So for my whole, right. for the next three years, I had classes only four days a week. It all changed when, for me, like the, the inflection point, yeah. the first inflection point was when I was studying uh, with my finance professor. 
And he said during one of our classes that there's no social or environmental costs in our GDP, our gross domestic product. And knowing what that meant... There's, uh, sorry, can you repeat There's no that? social costs, like when they calculate the gross domestic product Oh, you mean that company. they don't calculate it? Because yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, there are, but yes, they don't calculate when they, like, it. When they put out the numbers for a, like a country's gross domestic product, right. which is the, what they measure countries' output by and right. drive currencies and drive a lot of trading and fluctuations, had as, the calculation had no social or environmental <laughs> costs in it. Right. Which to me was like a bell ringer. It kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I, yeah. I walked out of class. I walked down to the foreign language department and said, I'm leaving this state. I'm leaving this country. I need, I'm not going to finish right now. Right. Where can I go? And they had a program, thankfully, in um, southern France, in Aix-en-Provence, <laughs> which was, I said, great, I'm going. Let my parents know I'm out. And I, I transferred <laughs> there and ended up living with a French family an older French family who had a very traditional way of life. We had nine course meals for the next nine months while I was wow. learning French and the, the most amazing markets to this day, yeah. I'd say of any place I've ever been. And this was like junior year of college. This is like my, th- at, during my third year of college. Right. And you know, fr- you know, meat markets, flour yeah. markets, cheese no, markets, like heaven. every single market that you've ever seen on, on market, they had it. You'd just get a baguette and some a little some wine and cheese and sit by a fountain. There was more fountains per capita than anywhere else in the world. It's the most <laughs> romantic, charming place you've ever been. Yes. And then all the like Parisian models are coming down from Paris to like Little Paris, which was Aix-en-Provence. Right. And so you sit in the that must in the have cafes. sucked for you. I'm it was so sorry. Horrible that, as, a young, <laughs> was your, as a young man. It was, you were twenty. It was that intimidating. Must have been terrible. I had yeah. never been so intimidated. Yeah, actually. Okay. I didn't really know even how to speak their language. Right. Like speak their language right so that was it was a it was a great challenge but I really loved living in that environment and I ended up staying another year and went to Germany and learned German although I never kept up with it because the Germans man they yeah. all speak English so perfectly yep. and then I learned Spanish which I kept wow. the most because now I speak it as part of so my you're a polyglot in addition to career. The, yeah, yeah that's very cool but all that helped because when I got back to finish my degree so you decided to go back to St. Louis Obispo. I went back to finish my education. Right. And right when I finished it in 1995 is when I met the, an Argentine who was waiting tables at this restaurant. And that's Alex. Alejandro. Yeah. Alejandro. And he, um, yeah, we connected at the restaurant. He spilled a little food on me. We started <laughs> chatting. He, we were really friendly. I liked his vibe. He invited me out to his place. And had you ever... So you'd never tried yerba mate at that point? Had you ever even heard of it? No. no and then when you went to like hang out, presumably like pre-going out or whatever, like you went over and then he offered you a gourd? Like, so how Alex, did that, how did that Alex was living in a trailer on uh-huh. a really large property doing organic farming studies for a, a fairly sizable piece of property. And... It was great. Like we had a dinner and then uh-huh. he passed around the gourd and th- that was the second inflection point. Got it. That was like, I started drinking it. I had a profound physiological experience take place. I wasn't really a coffee drinker. Yeah. I did for six months when I lived in France, drink coffee till I freaked out one day. Yeah. And I felt it like take over my body. Yeah. And I, I cut cold turkey. So I'd stayed away from caffeines at that yeah. point. Yeah. Well, you saw me before the show, you know, I, I, if, I mean, I can feel when it's like one sip too mm-hmm. much and then everything in my body just starts to get really funky and like a little not happy. 
so I was definitely a little nervous about the guayaki, you know, with the, <laughs> with the caffeine, but it, I'm, it doesn't, I'm feeling good. Nice. So You're yeah, good. so that's good. So, and you drank from the gourd, which is like an espresso shot version of it. Great. That's good to know. Yeah. This so, is strong. Yeah. Well, thank you. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, but so, it's, so your, so your physical experience was like, this is fucking cool. I feel good. It was a little more profound and it's pretty <laughs> typical uh, of people that came and say out of the natural foods industry and a lot of say founder entrepreneur types. Like I, they have like a really strong connection with something. I had shots in my arms for almost 10 years for severe allergies growing up. Right. Like really bad. I was allergic to everything green. Yeah. They did the prick test. Then I moved to like the Sudafed and the Benadryl yeah, like drugs. Gonna, yeah. And then I kind of cut the cold turkey when I got to university and just was really into like surfing and mountain biking and yoga after it was the only thing that after doing like two to three hours of extreme exercise, I could like breathe. Right. It was amazing. My head felt clear. It was the best I ever felt. Right. So it was a similar experience. Yeah. And I, you know, I was a water polo player swimmer in high school. And so I, I already knew that like the only time I felt amazing was after a lot of exercise because yeah. it would somehow beat Like clear out stuff. Yeah. But after drinking a gourd with him in 15 minutes, I was like feeling amazing. Like, wow. what is this stuff? This is like, how can this stuff be, be working legal. so strong? <laughs> right. and, yeah. For, is it legal? <laughs> right. And like, how come I've never heard of it? I'm from California. Like I've never heard of this stuff. So tell me more about it because so it is f- from my understanding. I mean, I'm literally reading. So why don't you tell me instead of me reading, it is from the leaves and stems of the something tree. Elex. Elex. Parawariensis. Okay. So it, I it's, like that it's a tree that grows in the middle canopy of the rainforest in a section of the world of the Atlantic forest. It's below the Amazon. It's subtropical between the, the 20 and 30th parallel. What I'm actually drinking when you look into the mate gourd mm-hmm. is the leaf and the tender stem, the cut, the way they cut the leaf. So right. they first probably harvest, they go through a pretty elaborate drying. It ages and then you mill it into what this form is. And then we would brew that and do all of our formulations and that what goes in the cans and bottles. But this is just the pure leaf. Yeah. I mean, getting, so getting back then though, so you basically tasted this thing. It, you're like, wait, this is kind of a miracle. Alejandro's like, yes, it's very common where I'm from. Like there's no, you know, and then was it like, aha, at that moment, like we've got to bring this, like this has to be our business or I was starting a a tech company in San Luis Obispo to stay in the area. I didn't want to go back to the Bay area. Right. And with a couple of guys I graduated with and been like six months in and, but we just started hanging out as bros. Right. Drinking mate. And every time we were hanging out, like, the same thing would happen, and he would tell me more and more about the story, how it was the drink of the gods, the most powerful rejuvenator known to man, the right. el oro ver los indios, all the, the legends and myths around mate, right. about it being this rejuvenative. And how, you know, the year that Alex and I were both born, 1971, about 70, more than 70% of the Atlantic forest was there, cut to today, less than 7%. So in our lifetime, wow. most of the forest were mate comes from had been deforested wow. and yerba mate even in those in those conversations because alex was already doing this right he was putting package he's putting mate into a package and and taking it to a store 
But basically in like the tea leaf yeah. form. Right. Yeah. So Not, I started helping him. Right. I started packaging mate with him in the trailer. Right. It wouldn't take very long. It took like a half hour. He'd package right. a bunch of pocket, take it to Foods for the Family, drop right. it off and sell a case for 50 bucks, whatever right. it was. And as we were hanging out doing that, I was learning more and feeling the mate and like he was telling me about how this product could be used as a reforestation vehicle, but also a way to support the small farmers in indigenous communities yeah, because sure. it was their drink. Like, totally. They've been drinking it for centuries. They know how to steward the forest. They know how to grow it. And how we could bring back the forest by connecting these islands of rainforest. Because when you travel down there now, you're traveling through six or seven right. hours of Monsanto Cargill land yeah. with all the big... They're really happy about it. And they have Ugh. all their big billboards up about the newest and latest C227 yeah. herbicide, insecticide. Ugh. Then you get to the, the indigenous areas where they, like the Ashe Guayaquil were. And they have like a 20,000 acre island. That's a biodiversity haven right? that could be used as a, a gene pool to bring back other areas. And so by, by connecting those areas with biological corridors to other areas of forest, you could start giving away for the birds and animals to travel. Yeah. They would start bringing it back. And so that's where we're at today. That's actually happening. But it took a couple decades yeah. for that to really manifest. I mean, and at that, when was there, when, like, was there like a, okay, we're doing this? Like when, because that, you know, it's a big step, right? I mean, like, what, do you remember a moment where you were like, okay, you know what? Forget the tech company. We're going to do this together. This is amazing. I mean, to have a very, dual mission Very like early really in, cool. like a few months in, it was like, he told me, la puerta está siempre abierta. Like the door is always open because we just were like connected. Right. I was like, I'm stepping through it. Right. And I... Because he wanted to do worked it. Worked it out. He yeah. Had, he had been and he had a, a woman who was working with him. It wasn't going very well. And she was just doing some like um, writing. Right. And we had like a soul connection. Yeah. Right. And so we're, we're connected. And so the two of us took it from there. Okay. So uh, we are going to take a break at the soul connection. And then we're going to figure out how you kind of made it into something that I think is like a $60 million plus a year sales product. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent member supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on HRN is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fun drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. Hi, I'm back with David Carr, uh, co-founder and chief brand Sebador of Guayaki Yerba Mate. Um, so the story is so fucking cool. I'm <laughs> like really having a good time. But the people that listen to this podcast, um, from my understanding, are mostly 
founders who have just started something or founders who have a great recipe for something and are trying to figure out, is this like, is this marketable? Is it scalable? Can I make this into something? Um, the founders that have kind of reached out to me at least, um, they are, are, you know, I think this is relevant because yes, of course they're thinking about like doing well, but I think a lot of them are also really thinking about doing good. So I think that this is really helpful. Um, but if you can think back, I mean, you know, I talk a lot on here about researching your category and knowing the market size and knowing who your customer is. And, you know, when you have a product that literally has never, I did interview Mike Kerbin from Vita Coco and it was a similar, no one really drank coconut water at that time. He was, I think he had the asset and liability of coming up the pike at the same time as Zico. So at least there were a couple people working on like awareness of coconut water. Um, but you had still, there is no one else. Um, so how did you get it from like, okay, we're going to do this. And it clearly you had great plans, not only for, you know, introducing this product to America, but also just like the, at the core of it, creating jobs and connecting community and like regenerating the rainforest. But what was your first step? I mean, did you make a business plan? Did you think like, okay, we can get it into, like, how did it go from the leaves to the cans? What mm -hmm. was it in cans? You know? I'll, I'll share uh, some. And then if there's anything specific that grabs your attention, you want to know more about. I'll interrupt Let you. me know. <laughs> um, because there's so many layers after 23 years. But yeah, I had $14,000 at okay. the time. So that was enough to get some packaging. But it wasn't enough to get real packaging. At the time, my my girlfriend's father designed our wreath logo. He lived up in Humboldt, uh -huh. Arcata. And after Alex and I traveled up there and told him about our grand vision, he came up with like the leaves around the earth. Yeah. Bound by the flag. And so we had a logo. <laughs> but Tony's buddy had a printing press. Uh -huh. And the bright idea at that point in time was to get cardstock that was really hard yeah, and then score it in the middle and then fold it up into a triangle to make a package for the loose mate right? and the tea bags. And this for the first eight years, that's all we had. So loose mate and tea bags. Yeah. Yep. So it's a very low capital intensive business and we we're just selling it to natural food stores. So what we did was like Velcro it in there. Right. Didn't work the best. So we ended up gluing it in there. And so what happened was over time, the cardstock would just start to bend yeah. and fold. And so when we were starting to check accounts, literally the packages were flying off the shelf, right. we used to joke, because they're <laughs> sitting on the ground right. in, the, in the hall of yeah. the store. And you're like, uh, they're flying off the shelves, do you which remember, they were not. Like, do you remember early they're on? They're falling off the shelf. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It's, I mean, the, I, we didn't think about, like, we have, you know, pouches, right? Mm -hmm. And they can just, like, they just tip over. So it never occurred to us to have like a little corrugated box that kept them standing up. And then we're like, oh, it was like the biggest Eureka. It was very exciting. But do you remember having to convince, like I can imagine in California, I would think that there would be natural stores that, you know, that were pretty easy to sell into. But do you remember, do you remember sort of trying to explain what the product was to buyers or yeah. yeah, so no one ever really knew what it was. Right. And I felt like we were the 
It was my brother and I who went north in my VW bus and Don Miguel who went back to LA. And so we were covering the West Coast traveling. We did over three, 4,000 demos ourselves. So I served, wow. we served the, probably the first 5 million cups <laughs> and out of our own hands, looking someone in the eye, introducing to the product saying, you're going to like this. At your little table. Through mate lattes. That's all we could do. It was all mate lattes. And, and mate latte is different than... You brew it in a French press, strong, so people would feel it. A right. little bit of sugar. T- the top third would be milk or cream Ooh, or yeah. whatever. All the evolutions. First it right. was milk, then it was soy milk, then it was almond, almond milk, now it's, and now it's everything. Right. And we would just go to a store owner, let's just say you own a place, and I'd be like, hey, this this product is really good for you. It's healthy. It's, it's caffeinated. People are like drinking instead of coffee. Yep. Oh, I don't know. It's like, how about we stand in your store and we demo people, and then at the end, however packages many we sell, right? You sell them, and then we'll sell you some more. And that's what we did, and everyone could say yes to that. And again, this was the natural foods industry, right? Because this was around yeah. GT Dave time too. GT started one year before me. Yeah, we're I was good gonna, friends. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say because I listened to him on like probably how I built it, you know, like not, Mm -hmm. he hasn't been on this podcast, but he will be. GT's Um, a really good guy. Yeah. I mean, his story is, is awesome, but it sounds like basically sort of like you go to Irwan or Irwan and you're like, Hey, here's my thing. And in 1996 or 1998, they're like, that's cool. You know, it's not what it is today. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't necessarily buy it on the spot, but if we stood there and sampled the product all day long and then we built up a customer base, they would take a case or two in and then I would like call the office and we'd UPS product there. And that's how we, we used UPS for the first four years. Right. And oftentimes, you know, the VW bus got too small, so we got an RV and then another (laughs) one. So we ended up carrying product with us so we could like leave a case or two behind. And that would last, unfortunately, that would last a while. Well, because it's tea, right? In bags. (laughs) So what? Yeah, it's not even tea, actually. That was the main thing we were able to get pie was this is not tea. There's coffee, there's tea and mate. Right. They all are part of the half a trillion dollar stimulant industry. Right. One is Camellia sinensis, which is tea. Right. One is, you know, coffee, which is which is Arabic. Right. Arabic. And then the uh, the other one is Elex Paraguariensis, right. which is the holly leaf. And is so there really another, breaking it down. Is there another, you know, like I think of like, would rooibos be a different thing because it's not that chameleon, you know, like exactly. is every, right. Okay. Well, you would all like blue, all, all like green, black and oolongs, like even poeters, they're all from the same family, which is, Camellia sinensis. Right. But this is just This from is a tree, a tree that grows in the middle yeah. canopy of the rainforest. It is not even close. It's so crazy. It's more similar to coffee in that the way it's the way you brew it and the way you consume it. Right. And the effect that it gives you like of a of a real boost. So when did it um two questions. When did it become like a CPG product? Like when did it go from the loose tea leaf bag mm-hmm. format to I don't know if you started with a can or you started with a jug or how, whatever. How did that happen? What was the impetus for that, really? And then also, do you remember sort of a moment where you're like, okay, this is actually a business. I, like, I'm, we're really in this. Like, this is happening. I always felt like we were always in this and this is happening and I never looked back and yeah. never had any self-doubt. And it was more just because the the spirit and the magic of Yerba Mate was so powerful and so obvious. And after you've served it 
millions of times to millions of people and you had no shorter than 10,000, 20,000 people tell you how it's changed their life yeah. like from really tough illnesses. Yeah. I have to tell you completely as an aside, I think I really feel like this is going to change my life. <laughs> like I really do. I, I'm, I feel exceptionally good right now. And I, I did not get a ton of sleep and I felt a little cruddy in the morning and I'm very excited just to be uh, as a side note. See, this is, this is what we were talking about. This could happen. Um, okay. So going back to the questions format and you were always in it. So, but I mean, you, you might've been always in it, but you might not have been able to support your life or like a family on like good vibes. Right. Well, so it started when, when I was 25. And so living on the road for the next fine. seven years, you know, we didn't have a salary, but we just expensed our food and gas. Right. And I'd show, I mean, when I parked the RV in Hoboken 20 years ago right. and met my buddy, Josh and Josh, who I'm still connected with today. Right. He sent me the pictures two days ago, the original ones Aww. from being parked in Hoboken. Right. It was Don Miguel and I, and, and it was just as good then as it is now. Yeah. It's all, the time has been an illusion yeah. because when your personal and your professional are aligned and you totally. have such a, a big vision and you yep. know you're just going to get there, the formats change. Yeah. People, there ends up being more and more people. But those but adventures were yeah. incredible. The adventures I'm on now are yeah. incredible and they're very different. Yeah. The, the thing that going down to South America and seeing the Yerba Mate set in the stores being six times as big as coffee, right. meaning the countries drink six times as much coffee when they have access to both. Uh, you know, growing up and understanding business and how things could scale. And I always believed that you should vote with your dollar and that that's going to yep. be what changes the world. Me too. Because I was really kind of disillusioned with politics. Yep. And I understand that the corporations are taking over the world. So you. Yeah, but a lot either... of good can come from businesses doing good. Yeah, we have to inspire, yep. you know, and influence companies to do things. And then we'll, we'll validate it by buying their product. Yep. It's kind of a real simple formula. But Yerba Mate's strongest properties, when I was researching early on, are cardiovascular and digestive. Right. And those are the two things that lead to 90% of the illnesses in in the Western world. Yeah. Everything that's cardio and digestive related. And so, so many people, especially in that time when they were going to the Europe, to the, the natural food stores and yeah. organic co-ops, they were all there for a reason. Like they're yeah, suffering they from something or they're looking for something else. Yep. And they would drink this really strong concoction that we'd give them. And within like five to 10, 15 minutes, lots of them were coming back and being like, what is this stuff? Yeah. They look at you like, right? And they look, what is this stuff? Like almost like, what is this stuff? And, was the, and you're like, yeah. I don't really know other right. than a tree that goes in the rainforest. <laughs> you know? But I mean, that must have been somewhat of the guide for you. Like, okay, now, I mean, I guess my question is, did it come from you guys being like, the shelf is annoying, the, the, the format is annoying. We need to figure out a way to get this into an actual beverage. Or was it people saying like, I'm not going to do that brewing thing. Can you get it to me in a can or both? It was, we almost, it was the closest we've ever been to going out of business, uh-huh. you know, missing payroll for a number of months, not having, what happened was, cause yeah. it, I think it probably even connected us to New York City at that point in time. And a little bit of backstory. Yeah. We, I got a call about 
being in, an, in, a, in a cover story for Money Magazine, which is a publication yeah. out of New York, 10 million circulation. I was selected for the cover. They decided uh, because to f- of your because of the our so it was a social enterprise right, article it, at the okay. time. There wasn't even very many examples. No, right, <laughs> right. And they, I f- they flew out to the island where I live, and there's like three people came out. Four day food photo shoot. When does that happen? Right. right? It was pretty cool. We actually that is did cool. some other. We became friends and did some more photo shoots. And um, this happens. We get investment. Wow, this is great. And then right after that. We got our first big investment for us. It was a big deal. We took in half a million dollars. Yeah, I was going to ask like, you. This was that another inflection yeah. point. And then... And this was how many years in? And it This was 2003. And was it in cans at this point? No. No. Still in the I'm loose... I'm telling you, this is okay. what happened. Okay. <laughs> then, Women's World is a tabloid magazine. Yeah. I think they're still around. I've never They're like them. the ones that you get at the conventional stores. Yeah. Does a, another cover story. South America's secret weight loss tea. And of oh. course, people use mate to, to, for weight loss, but they picture uh-huh. are like the, the orange blossom and chai blends that we no longer have, like right. the tea bags, which have the least amount of mate in them. doesn't matter. I take the call. At the time, our sales were like 200K a month. And then they go... By the way, that's no small shakes. Well, like, for us, we were small at the time. And so right. it was like GNC called, vitamin water call, uh-huh. all of them called. I took the phone and... Foolishly said yes. Yeah, it sounds great. And then it went 200, like 400, 600, 800. This is like going all the way till the end of the year. Wow. And now all of our strong months are usually quarter four and quarter one because we're right. like we're like a, a tea. hot beverage. Right. And <clears throat> then it went completely dry January, February, March, April. And now there's want to send all the product back because I foolishly uh-huh. sold it to him on consignment. Yeah. I didn't know any better. I was just stoked. Like, oh my yeah. God, this is what you're No, but by the way, for. that's a great founder <laughs> lesson. Like, do not sell on consignment. Right. Um, it was, that was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. Just lose all that money. And, and the eight or nine people who are on my team helping in sales and marketing yeah. were then all gone. Wow. And so it was back to me. And then I spent all those time recalling everyone, yeah. all the stores, all the brokers. I was now that person yeah. again and built back. But after that happened, uh, my partners lesson. and I were like, we're never going to go through a summer without a beverage. We need Got something it. that help works in quarter two and three to, yeah. to, to balance out our quarters. I love this. So that was the sort of origin story of like, Makes we sense. absolutely can't go through another summer yeah. without... No, that makes total sense. It's like the the ski wear company buying the bike company. Like you got to cover your day parts. You got to cover your year parts, basically. So how long did you have to do R&D to try to figure out how to get the what you wanted into? And was it a can or was it a bottle? It it was it was not a really lengthy process. And we and I don't think our first products were not very good. We managed to like brew mate and put them in the, the, the most stock bottle you could get, which was like the honest tea bottle. Right. Snapple bottle. Yep. And do small runs, make some pretty crude recipes and then sell them into the stores we were already selling into and people took them and hardcore mate fans were like they're pretty good and we'll buy them so that worked it didn't work great didn't like start taking off but all of a sudden it was like wow 2005 we're selling glass bottles now and the summertime and it's starting to like be more of a four quarter business which makes planning easier right etc and so that evolved and it really wasn't until the next inflection point, which was like 2009, 10, when we came out with our first three cans. Right. So really, that was kind of the beginning of us becoming a beverage company yep. in 2009 or 10. And how did, um, because I'm 
I'm I'm not quite sure about the timing, but I feel like there, you know, there had been like soda and Gatorade. And then all of a sudden there was this like natural energy boom. There was vitamin water and there were the coconut waters and there, you know, like, did you, were you kind of head down building your thing or were you looking around at sort of this burgeoning category that was kind of emerging in like the energy drink world or the alternative energy beverage world or, you know, what, what was your relationship with like the larger market? Like at that point, we were really focused on yerba mate right? and we knew that so many people were already drinking it instead of their coffee in the morning, just French pressing it or making yeah. it a coffee maker. And then we also knew as we were drinking, making bottles, like people were drinking it, you know, in, in the afternoon to give them energy. It wasn't until we came out of the cans that people were like, oh, now we can drink this instead of like the energy drinks, which have a lot of chemicals and are bad for you and a lot of sugar. Right. And that was still didn't really take off for us until we started putting them in the more mass market stores because that's where people were buying those other products. So until people knew that we were actually a replacement for those kind of drinks. So, I, yeah, I would say most of our business is now is driven by people who want a energy boost, like not only an organic product that gives them energy and it's healthy for them, but one that comes from a good company yeah. where they actually believe in it, not just we're the greenwashing organic healthy right. energy drink. Yeah. There's a lot of those Functional options blah, now blah, blah. and everyone's right. coming to market because they see it's a, a great yeah. market, but there's an ingredient story. There's a brand story. Yeah. There's a there's a really strong vision and mission behind yeah. this company about why they're doing it. And this is this is actually a plant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We cherish this plant Yeah. and we share it in ceremony. Yeah. And we look each other in the eyes. I mean, we drink it traditionally, like there is a lot of intention around working with a plant and you don't just quickly put it in something and try to distribute it. Like we think about a lot of layers with the farmers and the indigenous people and how we're brewing it and where we're brewing it and who's working with it and who's touching it. And, and it touches a lot of hands, but we're really conscious about whose hands it touches. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you know, I have so many, I have so many questions about that because I definitely feel like there's this part of me that feels very strongly that coming from a, a place that is not only sort of, I'm very grounded in like my brick and mortar business and I'm very grounded in like my sustainability education and it's very important to me not to put stuff into the world that is going to be crappy in every way. Um, there's also this part of me that feels like I'm in a little bit of a race and like there are all these people all around me that don't have the same value system and that's been winning. It feels like in a lot of ways. And I think part of the reason why I'm happy to be meeting you is because it feels like you're not doing that and you are winning, which is, you know, I think, which is really inspiring. Um, I got a little teary eyed. So I want to ask a question about investors. Um, I read a really good quote. We're not in a hurry. We're not looking to sell and we don't need to ramp according to someone else's growth projections. We're just always looking to make the best long-term decisions. And I think that um, you're in a great position to be able to do that. I feel like a bunch of the founders I know end up giving away a lot and making some deals with the devil. Um, and I, I guess I'd love your thoughts and your advice and how do you, how would you guide them? You know, and what mm-hmm. would you advise them? 
Well, I realize that everyone's situation is different, so all I can do is share what happened with us. Which is great. And Alex and I were partners, and on one of his sourcing trips, he fell in love with an Argentine really <laughs> early on and wanted to move back to his country. Right. We couldn't afford to have him to even pay him a salary. None of us were taking salaries. Right. Um, but he kind of came to me and was like, David, and the, we're drinking <laughs> a Gordy's Tyrion, and he tells me it's great. So then all of a sudden... He's like, here, you know, just give me a little bit of the company and I'll send you the mate. And right. so then all of a sudden I had most of the percentage and I then gave it to the three other guys I was working with, my brother and Chris and Don Miguel, and we kind of spread out the uh, the ownership amongst the five of us. Right. And we became the Samias. Mm-hmm. And then the, the really the five of us became the sweat equity. Right. They built the band. Like three of us, my brother and I and Don Miguel traveled. A lot. Alex went down to South America every like, you know, year or two, he'd send us a container of mate. You know, he right. had to work for two other companies in that time. And then Chris stayed back. He had his first kid and he ran the business part. We we had a small team of people. So we did it like that. And, you know, like I said, we had the first couple bank loans. Right. And then I, you know, I had I'd already maxed out all my credit. I had nine credit cards. I just kept right. on sending them, right? I had yeah. nine of them. My brother had four. Chris probably had five. <laughs> Even last month, I was still like... Can you guys please like right. get this end this credit card out of my name? I'm not kidding, and That's I think funny. we're almost past right. that because I have to. I had to like call and dispute a charge. Right. Like, anyway, you know, so we were we took everything we could and we were all in and we went for it. But it was the spirit of the brotherhood. Yeah. That and we always just trusted and we've never had a hard moment. All five of us are still. Yeah. We've had hard moments, but we never had a falling out. Right. We're always able to like talk through things. Yeah. And we're always able to put the spirit and the vision above any one of us. So yeah. It wasn't about anyone's ego, even though yeah. we're all strong headed in our own way. Yep. So that was really the recipe for us. And then it kind of grew from there. Yeah. And then outside investors, you said that 500,000, that was a bank loan or that was, um, that was equity. And so equity, what yeah. happened was, and, and I mean, this is also, he was so a true angel. Yeah. No, this is, this was in 2000. That must've been like in, 2003 that could have been like seven right. or eight years eight years in we took we first started taking outside equity from real angels and and all the credit would go to chris my right. partner for who, finding the angels. well just he's he was really so good with the finances yeah and he was able to like talk with investors and we and we never took money with an exit strategy right it was like this is a patient investment here's what we're doing here's right. the vision we don't know how long it's going to take. Our goal is to stay private. You know, we always had this idea, and still do, like that if we're going to take money off the table, people who own stock can sell it at different points in time, or right. we'll do a dividend. But we're doing this to create a large private enterprise that's right. going to inspire people to prove that regenerative enterprise can be profitable. In fact, the first sticker that I had on my VW bus was make peace profitable. <laughs> and the way you do that is you prove that regenerative enterprise is abundant. That yep. you can have the earth is abundant. Yeah, everything's abundant that if you work with it. Yeah, and you collaborate, and things are interdependent and interconnected. But we're taught the opposite. Yeah. we're taught to fragment and compartmentalize. But so, we we yeah. are okay with complexity. We like complexity, right. and I think it's more of an attitude. Yeah, and then I mean, I guess the question is, like, at some point, you know, you get to five hundred million in sales or whatever it is. You know, I mean, can something grow forever, or do you do you? I mean, if you if the goal isn't to exit, then 
do you just kind of hit that place where it just starts to be a steady state and it's a nice thing and everyone kind of gets a little bit of that? Or do you... I'd rather answer that question in 20 years when I'm through some of the (laughs) the visions I've had about what's going to happen in the next 20, which involves a lot of growth. I mean, imagine... You know, we're we're part of a half a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, so you, you just got we started. recently started our media company a couple right. of years ago, Come to Life Media, which is a good news network for the regenerative movement. Very I just cool. started our first Mateata, yeah. which is a lounge which is focused on regenerative food, drink, culture. So you're building something and beyond that's the, a retail environment yeah, where people right. can come into like a regenerative yeah. hub from the community for the community. So there are yeah. a lot of different verticals. Yeah. We're not we just launched our own distribution. So yeah. we're, dist- we're distributing our product off of electric vehicles. Very cool. So you took the distributors out? We made that decision a couple of years ago yeah. and now we're GM's largest electric fleet customer. Wow, that's so cool. And the really exciting part about that that I think has been like a, a renewed sense of vigor and excitement for all of us mm-hmm. is a lot of the, the social regeneration that we've been doing has been with small farmers and indigenous communities yep. in South America. And that's deeply important to that's where we source from. Right. That's where the product is, yeah. grows. But now we're hiring people who have been formerly incarcerated that we call them the lo- the legion of the system affected. Right. And so we have over 100 people now driving our vehicles, right. dropping off a product out of electric cars, right. who are having these really incredibly regenerative life patterns. Personally regenerative. Yeah, yeah. where you're all of a sudden the mate yeah. guy or girl showing That's up, awesome. delivering cases to a bodega in, in right. New York or San Francisco. And it's just positive. And it's just one positive move after the next. So we have to finish up. Um, I would like to keep going, but I'm getting the side eye from Matt. Um, You are in town for, let's talk about what you're doing in New York. Because from my understanding, you guys are hosting a bunch of different like music events, community gatherings, art experiences. um, You know, I guess focused on your mission and like bringing people together. And and so can you tell me a little bit about like some of those things or what you're doing and how long you'll be here and how people can hook up? Well, I would not be the best person to tell you all the details or everything's (laughs) going to ground, but I did, I did go to the North Brooklyn dinner and Uh and talk and that was bringing together the people from the permaculture action network and kiss the ground and really just getting people together to get the dialogue going around a generation. Because what I've experienced in the number of events that I've done so far is because we've been doing this so long, we know a lot of people that we've met over 23 years and all the different movements all across the country. And so I'm even at the table with people who are doing amazing things and And I would think they know each other and they're even from like the same same coast and they don't. And so Guayaquil has always been a catalyst to like get people together and make things happen. And that's why we're here and we're going to do the similar things in different communities, like create an environment where people can come together whether it's share a gourd, have a mate cocktail, yeah. you know, have a have some nitro mate, enjoy Very a craft cool. nitro mate experience, yeah, and connect. Very cool. Um, I do think that you can get more info at Guayaki. It's G U A Y A K I dot com backslash events. Yes. Um, obviously, you can go to Guayaki and learn all about. I mean, there's so much cool shit that you guys are doing um, on every sort of 
step of the supply chain and and it's an honor to meet you so thank you so much for being here today it's been so wonderful to be in brooklyn i've had such an exhilarating experience connecting with the local people here doing amazing things where they're like receptive like people at local roots yeah north brooklyn farms or the kiss the ground chapter there's a lot of energy and community here and that's for me inspiring yeah and keeps me motivated so thank you for taking the time to to share as well all right. Well, um, Matt, thank you, Monsieur Engineer. You didn't chime in a lot today. It's true. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> and um, I will be back next time with another episode of In the Sauce. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.